Welcome to episode 63 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at FanBolt.com. I am Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney with LastOneToLeadTheTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. And uh, we have some pretty cool stuff coming up. This is actually our last podcast before we all head out to Comic-Con next week. And Ooh. I'm just so excited for you guys to like experience it. It's Cause, so cause awesome. Because we're rookies. We're rookies. <laughs> but you have a, a nine-year seasoned pro with you to help you navigate the madness. Yeah. So you'll be so fine. What, what Emma means by that is that she, she knows where all the parties are. I do know where all the parties are and all of the must-eat-at restaurants, and um, I'm also, like, hooking you guys up with press rooms, so, you know, I I know how to navigate this, Um, but uh, we should have some pretty cool stuff for you guys next week. We're actually going to record on a Wednesday, even though our podcast will still come out next Friday, Um, but uh, we'll have preview night and uh, Game of Thrones uh, exhibit preview next uh next wednesday so yeah. and we'll all be together in the same room I know. And, and record and we'll be we'll be drinking while we're doing this sure, it, sure why not <laughs> <laughs> sure gotta, gotta kick comic-con off with a bang right exactly exactly um so we're gonna have tons of interviews of course um next week though um we will not have done any interviews at comic-con just yet since it is still so early but um we will have a, another interview from Midnight Texas. It'll be a surprise interview from my set visit in January. And of course, on today's show, we're going to have Charlene Harris, who is the author of the book series Midnight Texas, um, also author of uh, the Sookie Stackhouse novels, which of course is uh, what True Blood was based on. So we'll talk to her in a little bit, but um, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about Game of Thrones because winter is basically here as of Sunday. <laughs> And Matt sure doesn't feel like that. I was like, Matt's finally coming to like the Game of Thrones like fandom land that we <laughs> we've all been in since the beginning. Yeah. So actually, I don't think Mike, you haven't watched it, have you? No, I watched uh, like a couple of the uh, first shows, and I just didn't get into it, so I've not watched it since. I feel like you've got to power through some of the first season, like because it's it is very overwhelming with how many storylines and how many characters and that no one has a normal name and it's kind of hard to like initially get used to. Um, But once you get in it, I feel like it becomes pretty addictive. You just got to go with the alliances is what I found out. Like, you know, the family names like Stark, Lannister, like who's where, not necessarily who's who. Just... (laughs) who's on what side, at least in the beginning. I'm only uh, five episodes into the first season, so like I'm still very, very new to all this. But um, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I'm actually basically trying to binge watch the whole thing. I am Comcast is giving uh, all the subscribers basically HBO free for a week. So I am trying to fit in as much Game of Thrones as I can before that week is up. Are you, so, are you? You're not going to be able to do it by Sunday, though, are you? I doubt it. I'm going <laughs> to try to at least get to season four, maybe, because okay. like I, I have season five. I own season five actually on Blu-ray. So if I can get to season four, then I can at least finish season five, and then 
I'll get to season six when I can get to season six. <laughs> we, t- we talked to uh, Jason Evans last night, another critic here in Atlanta, and uh, they binged watched Game of Thrones, and they got to a point where they didn't have the shows, so they just bought them on eBay, and then when once they were finished uh, watching that season, they sold that on eBay and then bought the next one with the money from that, that sale. Actually, one time he said he actually made some money off it. That's an interesting way to do it and kind of avoid the uh, buying per episode uh, model or buying the, the entire DVD set retail. It's interesting. True. Um, but yeah, so that, uh, of course, the new season premieres Sunday night, and it's going to be a pretty big deal and a, a huge part of Comic-Con next week. Um, so we'll we'll dive into that when, when these guys can talk about it a little bit more with me. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm surprised because... I feel cheated, almost. Because everybody's like, oh, everybody dies, all your favorite characters die. But then, like, I think it's the first episode. Either the first or second episode, you know, the kid gets pushed out the window and falls 30 feet. And he doesn't die. (laughs) It's like, what? You people lied to me. Well, just give it some time. Pretty much all the other characters you care about are probably going to die, with a few exceptions. There's still a few good people left, but um, (laughs) it's few and far between. (laughs) I will admit I am not going into this completely spoiler-free. Like, it has been basically impossible to not have things spoiled in the past seven years. It's been all over um, the Internet, so there's no way to avoid it. I mean, even I know... A bunch of stuff about it just because everybody else talks about it yeah yeah i think that's probably one show it's impossible to remain spoiler free on yeah well i would um, try to watch it but i thought this week i would catch up on one of my shows that i uh, watch on netflix um long mirror um which i really love and um i wa- i had six movies i had to watch this week so <laughs> i didn't have a lot of time for long mirror <laughs> Well, um, speaking of movies that we got to watch this week, uh, Wish Upon actually had two of the film stars that were present at the screening that we saw. Um, Sydney Park, who was in The Walking Dead, and of course, uh, Shannon Purser, who played Barb in Stranger Things. Um, so that was something a who, little bit... Who got nominated for an Emmy today, this morning. I, well, I mean, yeah. I still haven't looked at the Emmy nominations. Um, hold on, I'm going to pull them up really quick. Yeah, she got nominated for an Emmy. What for... what stunned what yeah what stunned me was the the fact that they announced them basically online. They did not go through the networks. They did it eleven thirty Eastern Standard Time, and not at the usual eight thirty Eastern Standard Time. So none of the morning shows had the Emmy picks. Interesting. Yeah, it's normally something that happens like insanely early, like the Oscars, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's usually at eight thirty. Easter Standard Time, and uh, this this year they did it online at 11.30. They wanted to sleep in a bit. Um, there were a ton of nominations for Stranger Things. Um, supporting yeah. actor was uh, David Harbour, who of course played the sheriff. Millie Bobby Brown, who played Eleven, was Best Supporting Actress. Um, the Duffer Brothers for directing a drama series. The Duffer Brothers for writing a drama series. Um, the production design... Um, casting for a drama series, um, Tim Ives for cinematography for a single camera series, one hour. Oh, these are very specific categories. Have they been this specific before? Yeah. Or is that new? Emmy, Emmy, they always have. 
Do they? <laughs> I guess <laughs> I maybe mean, they, they have just a ton haven't of categories and haven't well, aired I'm, it on like the primetime show. I guess right. well, I, they, so they I do a lot of them go go to the technical awards show. The technical awards that'll be gotcha. on one of their cable networks and um, yeah. and they they have added some categories over the years. They've adapted uh, to the times and the fact that there's now online and there's there the cable networks and everything else. So they have done some addition. Um, but a lot of the things you just mentioned have always been there. Right, right. I mean, um, even uh, creative achievement in interactive media with a scripted program went to yeah. ne- Netflix and CBS Digital for Stranger Things VR experience. I have no idea what that VR experience <laughs> is, but uh, maybe we'll... Yeah. Maybe that's because uh, the Mr. Robot virtual reality experience got nominated too. I wonder if that was... A Comic Con installation or something. I need to do some digging into that, like, because I know they did a big VR thing at Comic Con last year. Um, but anyways, uh, the series, yeah. of course, is up against. Uh, it's some pretty tough competition for uh, best series. Where was I at? Um, this is Us, Westworld, House of Cards, The Handmaid's Tale, The Crown, and Better Call Saul. Um, I think my prediction right now is going to be This Is Us. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it will I... be. A, I think I'm I'm leaning towards Westworld personally. I'm Stranger I, Things has got a decent chance too. I mean, it's going to be one of those three, but This Is Us. I just feel like. See, I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I think it'll be House of Cards. Really? Uh, I don't think it'll be House of Cards. Emmy 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 likes to Emmy more than any other uh, group likes to repeat, likes to vote. Yeah. So I mean, Maybe. look, Modern Family, Modern Family is still nominated this year, and Modern Family last season was was horrible. That's fair. That's that's fair. Um, but you know what? I, I feel like there are some I surprises c- sometimes. I could think, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I could think um, the Crown could could take for best series. I mean, the Crown won a Golden Globe for best series in drama, so. And it is, think, and it is that type of show that that Emmy likes to reward. Yeah. Right. So I think that could be the surprise winner. Well, we'll have to make our official um, our official predictions before um, <laughs> September seventeenth, which is when they air on CBS. So um, check out That's that list birthday. online. Oh, it is your I, birthday. That's like I, a, we're gonna have to have I, a party. Yeah, I smell a party. I smell a party. I might be in New York actually. Uh, I might not be here. I might be at a Heroes and Villains. Well, you know convention. what? You know what? We'll just have it at your apartment. <laughs> just, yeah. do it. Yeah. just pretend like I'm here. <laughs> like it'll be. It'll be like no, I'm we'll, right there with you we'll, guys. We'll Skype you in. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I won't feel like I'm missing anything. <laughs> um, well, cool. Um, well, let's go ahead and dive into our interview for this week um, with Charlene Harris. And this is from my set visit, uh, which is back in January with Midnight Texas. But the embargo was just lifted because the series actually premieres um, Monday, July 24th at 10, 9 central on NBC. And um, I, we're only going to put part of this on the podcast because it was a 30 minute long interview and it was there's probably seven press people in there with me. So you're going to hear a good little chunk of that uh, that press jacket and then the rest of it you can read in its entirety up on Fanbolt now. And then we're also going to have interviews with the rest of the cast that are going to be going up um, one or two uh, to a day until the series premieres. So. 
All that being said, we'll also be in the press room next week with Midnight Texas and doing the Midnight Texas experience, which will be outside of Comic-Con. So get ready for a lot of Midnight Texas, you guys. (laughs) It's going to be everywhere. Um, But that being said, it is a really good series. And if you like True Blood, um, you're probably going to like this. It's a little bit more tame, obviously, because it's on network television instead of HBO. Um, But it's uh, it's a supernatural, you know, story with a... a love story at the center of it too and it's uh it's got a lot of heart to it so that being said here is my interview with charlene harris um author of the book series midnight texas do you remember sort of the, the germ of this this concept uh, you know, i do the whole thing good yeah Hope to hear you do. uh when the sookie books ended i was kind of uh out of gas and I, I wanted to write a short, a short series. And I thought, what could I plum, plum it on? And I thought, oh, my mother grew up in Texas. And every summer I would go with her to this small hotel my grandparents owned in Rock Springs, Texas. Nowhere. Uh, Edwards, it's on the Edwards Plateau. It is very desolate. If you think this is desolate, you should see that. <laughs> um, uh, but every summer they had a rodeo in July. And the hotel was filled with people who were mostly drunk, and it was a, a, the, the worst time of year and the best time of year uh, for my grandparents. So their three daughters would come help them keep the place running during that very hectic time. And of course, my mother would bring me and my brother with her. Uh, and uh, Texas was a real challenge for me. Uh, the terrain was so different. I grew up in the Mississippi Delta. The society was different, and the people were much tougher, much tougher, and they had different goals. Uh, so that I felt like an alien, you know, and I thought, you know, that was an interesting feeling to be an alien in your own country, and and it kind of grew from there. And you were just into the genre stuff. You know, at first there wasn't going to be anything supernatural in Midnight, (laughs) but I kind of thought, oh, what the hell? (laughs) You know, I I just miss, I miss the, uh, I miss the supernatural elements. And it seemed to me like the story would be so much richer uh, if I used them and that it would make their bonding so uh, sensible or so reasonable. So uh, it just kind of evolved. Uh, it just evolved when, and when it got to the cat you know I had this big debate big debate I thought I think the cat can talk <laughs> and then I thought no that's too cheesy nobody will buy that and I thought but I think this cat can talk <laughs> and finally the cat talked and I thought I just have to leave it in this is too good that's too good uh, and since then people have told me that's their favorite thing about the books of course there are probably people who just hate it who were nice enough not to tell me that <laughs> did you feel you since you were so tired after the Suki books? Did you feel creatively reinvigorated <clears throat> with this new concept, this new whole thing? I did uh, because I was telling it from the third person. Uh, before first person point of view was my my Ballywick. Uh, third person, some of the points of view were male. I had never done that, and I thought I'm just going to do something completely different. Uh, a friend of mine said, "Charlene, you always do what you're scared of." That's pretty much true, though I had never made myself sound that good in my head. Uh, I do try to do what I'm scared of and something that has to jolt me out of that 
that track, I think there's nothing that's more alien to me uh, than writing the same book over and over. Will the show spark new books, you think? Or? <laughs> okay, that's a complicated and a simple question. Uh, I might write another midnight book, but my publisher has not asked me for one. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> uh, how involved with uh, production have you been on this? Zero. Zero. Uh, zero. Uh, and I expected that by now. You know, uh, this is my third third go round, uh, and I expect that, which makes it all fun for me. I don't have to worry about anything. Huh. Uh, I don't have to worry about casting. I don't have to worry about the script. I don't have to worry about directing or sites or anything. I can just go and say, wow, this is great. So and you don't feel precious about changes? Or nah. Uh, I, if I did, I would never have, uh, you know, allowed my wonderful Hollywood agents to to sell the books. I mean, that would be, you know, weird. Uh, why do I... Why do I want them to sell the books? I want people to come back and buy my books. That's my goal. Uh, what the show does is its own goal, you know, if that makes any sense. They're, they're pursuing their own ends. I just want people to say, by Charlene Harris, hey, I'll go buy that book. And I'm going, yes, that's what I want. I asked you this for True Blood, and I'm wondering if you get answer for this series, is what is it, something that they've done that you wish you wrote or did or picture because mm. I think for True Blood you said it was the baby vamp yeah <laughs> yeah I wish Jessica was such Jessica. a great character um, with this it's a little soon to say but I have to say uh, some of the scenes uh, where Jason's wings sprout mm. uh, that was not exactly how I had it in the books but I thought it was very powerful uh, very beautiful and I, I enjoyed that so much was the casting as you pictured? Some of them are totally different, obviously. But. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I never picture. Mm. I just wait and see what's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, it always surprises me, and yet it always works out. The people do a great job. That's why they got it. And, uh, you know, I just have to say the casting directors know what they're doing. Since you're writing, sorry, since you're writing the Suki books while Tree Blood was still going on, were you affected like how you pictured your characters? Were you picturing the actors at that point or still? Going no, they were, they were ingrained so in me by then. They were my people and I knew how they looked. And they were completely separate, uh, which was lucky. I, I was well into the Suki series before True Blood was on the air. And that was really good for me because I, I could continue to take it in the way I had planned and finish it the way I had planned. Uh, rather than try to, uh, I don't know, bump along with the show plot lines or anything like that. How closely do you watch the shows? I mean, like when True Blood was on, now this, when this will be on, do you watch it close yeah. or do you kind of just like... Uh, no, I watch it. Usually they send me a screener, okay. uh, which has my name stamped across it so I can't possibly give it to anybody. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy watching them. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, objecting to them or, or being excited by them, you know, sometimes I think, wouldn't have done that, but okay. Uh, because it's not, it's not my thing. It's completely separate to me. Right. But I always enjoy it, and I know people are going to ask me about it, so I better watch it. <laughs> There's a lot of authors who can't do that, though. You know, they'll sell the books. They'll take the check. 
And then all they'll do is bitch and complain about you how know, it didn't live up to the novels. That's not my wife. So not, that's ungracious. Mm-hmm. You know, that's biting the hand that, you know, that gave you money. I, I, just, <laughs> I don't get it. Who was the most difficult character to develop within your books? Within these books? Okay. Well, I've got to say, I never took the Rev's point of view because he was a very mysterious character to me, even though I was writing him. And I, uh, finally I thought, okay, he sees the Bible very differently from the way we see the Bible. He sees the Bible as interpreted through the animal scenes. Have you been in the church? Not yet. yet. Wait till you see the art. (laughs) It will knock your socks off. Uh, I thought he interprets the Bible from what happened to animals in the Bible. And that's a very different point of view. Uh, He wasn't one of my voices, and I was kind of glad because that would have been very tough. But I had to keep him mysterious and terse because that's, that's him. So to continue with that, which one of the characters gives you delight or is easier or you have fun with? Well, Fiji was always fun. Uh, in the book, she does not know the full extent of her power until later on. And I just loved watching her grow. And uh, she, was just, she made brownies for everybody <laughs> and she loved to bake. And I just enjoyed the fact that she was trying to live a very normal life in a very abnormal situation, uh, and that she was also secretly powerful. Yes! <laughs> you said the Rev's uh, take on the Bible was different. Uh, and how did you come about it, if it was so foreign to you? Well, I don't know. That's what being a writer means, is trying to see things differently from the way you as a, a person see them. Uh, you have to get inside their head, and uh, which is a mysterious and complex process, uh, probably much like acting, you know, uh, try to get inside the character and say, this is the way he is. Why is he this way? Uh, How did he come to be this way? What pushes him to be that way? Because I start off with people as they are, and then I I do the backstory to find out why they're like that. On um, on that note, when you're working on character development, where do you pull your inspiration from? How do you decide how a character, what their backstory is going to be, or you know what kind of powers they're going to have? Where do you draw that inspiration from? You know, uh, I, I distrust the word inspiration because it sounds like you go hocus pocus. Uh, I think it's it's just a result of of uh, experience. Uh, there's being a writer means making a thousand decisions every day. You know, it's it's just, well, if I have him turn left, he'll have a car wreck. If I have him turn right, he'll go to the bakery. You know, it, you just have to make up your mind uh, what's going to happen to that character and what will uh, be the most satisfying thing to happen to the character uh, because you have to satisfy yourself with what you're writing. And sometimes you say, I just want to kill someone. You know? <laughs> and that'll be the day you do it. Uh, uh, I always kill someone when I can't think of anything else to do. <laughs> Yes, I can kill them. I have the power of life and death. Is there a book that you wish you wrote? Jurassic Park. Oh, I love that book. Dinosaurs, people. You know, I just love that. Jurassic Park is the greatest book ever. Though I I have to admit, after reading it the first time, I skip all the scientific stuff and go right to the roar. You know. And that was my interview with Charlene Harris.
I love the nice. fact that she's a, a big fan of Jurassic Park. <laughs> that's um, that's funny because Mike read the whole interview, not necessarily just the part that I was going to include, and that was actually not in the part I was planning oh, on that, no. including. That's really? a spoiler, spoiler alert for the online version oh, of the interview. Yeah. But, um, You're right, I'm sorry. Well, there's a spoiler alert. Yep. Sorry about that. I don't know. We'll see when I'm editing it. I may include that. I may just go ahead and include it. You um, have to now. <laughs> um, she's so charming. Like, she's got say, such she, a she southern so voice. She seems so down to earth. Yeah, she really was. Um, you would never in a million years, uh, just like from meeting her and talking to her, have any idea like how successful she is because she just seems like like your aunt or somebody she's <laughs> it was funny when i was transcribing the interview i had to like edit out a bunch of just like kind of the southern words where she would answer questions like nah instead of no and like stuff like that which i i thought about kind of keeping in there but i definitely wanted to to mention it for people that re that read it online that i've kind of edited some of that but um she's so southern and charming and just a genuinely sweet person um i so i love her so I have a Charlene Harris story. All right, let's hear it. So um, I actually was a fan of, of the True Blood series, the Suki Sukhaus series of books before it became True Blood. Um, um, I got hooked on them. Um, and so I went to a book signing, and at that book signing, she had just found out that day who was going to play Suki in the HBO series, and she was very happy of who it was. Um, and but the, the the interesting thing is that this book signing here in Atlanta, there was probably I want to say between thirty and fifty people there. And you know now if she would have had a you know since then if she has True Blood uh, book signings, it, there would be like sometimes a thousand people. So it was before she became really famous. <laughs> yeah, the the True Blood series, and I wish that I. I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be talking to her about the, the passing of um, Lafayette, who, who passed oh, away yeah. last week, um, which was a really sad, sad story. Um, but True Blood is just such a, a great series, um, especially season one. Um, the TV show kind of went off in crazy land in the last few seasons. Um, but the book series was always really good, uh, really, really good. So hopefully uh, the Midnight Texas series will be um, as good and as enjoyable. I, I believe it's the uh, there's three books in the Midnight Texas series. Is that right? Yes, Mike? there are three books, and they're doing the 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 source from the from the books is book one and book three. Right, right. So we'll uh, we'll see based upon how successful the series is. Um, there could be more books in the future, and um, or maybe the the series will go off in an entirely different direction. <laughs> but. Uh, but it's really good. We've watched the first two episodes, and I, I, I personally haven't. love it. Well, you missed, missed out them. on our pilots and pizza them. night. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she she started out as a mystery writer, and she did. Uh, yeah, and then got into she started writing the Sookie books, uh, which always had a mystery in them, um, and then she's written a bunch of other series. Uh, there's I don't remember the name of it, but it's it's about a brother and sister. The sister has. Uh, got hit by lightning and she can now literally see dead people and gets hired to basically uh, find dead people and you know like settle wills and stuff like that um, so uh, and then she's there's another series that she's written also so she's rather prolific she is. I love how she was just like I wasn't gonna go with the whole supernatural route 
in this, but then I was just like, eh, why not, kind of thing. <laughs> and the way she said that, oh my god, like, I just, uh, I love her personality so much. Uh, she's just very authentic. Um, but all of that being said, we have two movie reviews to get to, so let's dive in. you want to do box in. office first? Yeah, well, I was, I was getting there, Mike. <laughs> just hold up, hold up. <laughs> so our box office results um, <laughs> from the weekend. Of course, Spider-Man came in first um, with $117 million, which I think was higher than you guys predicted, right? I think, um, I think it was between. Mike, you said like 120 Yeah, I, I think like I said 110. 120 yeah. So. Okay, so pretty close, pretty yep. close. Yeah, um, and of course the the production budget for that film was one seventy five. So they've obviously um, not going to have a problem, have no problem. meeting yeah. that. It probably already has worldwide. Um, I just don't yeah. have those numbers in front of me. Um, Despicable Me three uh, held on to a top spot at number two with thirty three million. Baby Driver in number three with thirteen mm-hmm. million. And Wonder Woman in fourth with nine million. I think we were actually predicting Baby Driver to drop to four and Wonder Woman to hold on to three. Wasn't that yeah, what we ba- were thinking? Yeah, and ba- Baby Driver um, all week was was number. It's been number three all last week. Was it is either number two or number three? And this week it's been number three. So it's really doing well. Yeah, it I mean, is. It's already it's already done fifty seven million. It has, which... Uh, I mean, Wonder Woman's doing amazing. Like It has. They say, like, Wonder Woman is doing, like, the best... Has had, like, the the least drop of all, like, of all comic book movies. Yeah, it's definitely something that people are going to see multiple times, which is... Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's our, our uh, box office highlights for the weekend. Of course, next weekend, we're going to have um, War... For the Planet of the Apes hitting theaters and Wish Upon, um, do you guys have any predictions? I mean, I don't. I don't think Wish Upon's gonna be up there. But I could see Spider. It's gonna be between Spider Man and War, definitely. I, I agree. I, I could guess... see Spider Man edging out War by a little. All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you the opposite. I think War is gonna beat it. I think War is going to do probably around 52 to 54 million, and I don't think and Spider Man is going to drop down to the 40s. Um, and I think and you're you're talking about also um, Despicable Me uh, three will will drop drastically, but I still think it'll probably be number three. Now here's the thing: is the Big Sick, which is in major markets, but it releases um, uh, today on uh, on on all the markets is expanding its theaters um so it 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 might go above despicable me um so that would be great great to see um currently it's only in 326 theaters but it's uh it's it's doing really really well considering how few theaters it's in yeah um well cool um, well, let's dive into our reviews for this week. Let's start with Wish Upon, since that's the one that I actually saw with you guys. <laughs> um, you picked the wrong oh, one. Oh, I know. I did pick the wrong one. Um, so, Wish Upon, um, which, which one of you want to set set that gem up? <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. All right. Um, go for it. So, this wonderful movie starts out... <laughs> Um, Joey King plays this uh, uh, young woman. Uh, the very very early on, we see that her 
mother commits suicide and now she's living with her father and her father is basically a junk man and he finds that this mysterious kind of it looks like a music box um, and he gives it to her and um, she starts uh, making wishes um, with it and everything that she wishes comes true um, and but there is a price to pay for those wishes coming true and that's basically the plot of this incredibly annoying film <laughs> oh i love our brutal honesty all right let's uh, jump into it with boredom factor one to five um how how bored are you guys 12 12 <laughs> i'd give it a four um because you know like basically like you know whenever she makes a wish somebody dies that's the the price that has to be paid and so I thought the deaths were were pretty well done. They were interesting. They were Sometimes creative. Sometimes they were tense. Yeah. Yeah, they were so. they were creative deaths. I'll I'll definitely. Yeah, but I, but I wasn't bored during those moments. Well, but here's the thing. I thought they were Final Destination ripoffs. And that's They're, what the, all those deaths reminded me of because they Final Destination always does this thing where you know somebody's going to get killed, you know it's going to be gruesome, and they a lot of times they will tease you thinking that this is when it's going to happen, and then it happens either to somebody else or it happens at a, at a later time. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm going to give it a five for boredom. I'm not going to go to the 12 range, but I was uh, <laughs> I was fairly bored. Although, on our next factor, eye-rolling, I'm going to go with 17. Oh, so much eye rolling oh my god it was ridiculous the, and the, the girl script is just terrible the script is terrible the girl is just like there's nothing i feel like with the with the lead like that you want to be able to like kind of feel bad for her or late to her or like care about her to some degree and all you want to do is like punch her in the face like well the, the, first off she's she's absolutely stupid because <laughs> she doesn't figure out that that her wishes are killing anybody till like the fifth death you know, it's like, come on. It would seem like after like the third baby, you would figure it out. But no, she doesn't <laughs> figure it out till the fifth death. And then everybody in this film, except for the father, is a selfish jerk. Yeah. Everybody in this film. And you're supposed to be rooting for her because she gets picked on by the... That's the thing, yeah. But she's she's equally a jerk. And, and as soon as she gets into power, she becomes the jerk. It's just, oh, it's just, it was an irritating movie. <laughs> that's that's fair. And then um, also, also Joey King, in, at least in this movie, can't act. No. See, yeah. I I like Joey King, but no, she is terrible in this movie. And I, you have to wonder, like, I mean, a lot of times the actors, it's just what they're given, and they can only yeah. do so much. And with it's it. like, yeah, the script. I mean, the script is terrible. It is so full of cliches and just cheesy one-liners. You're just like, did they really just say that? Oh, but I've I've been using that one line like whenever really whenever anyone which line when someone's like uh, like what are you thinking and I'm like trying to think of something dope to say to you <laughs> like, <laughs> that line was just so it was so bad so that bad. it was almost it was almost like good it was almost so good. bad no, so bad haters um, gonna hate man haters gonna haters hate. gonna hate <laughs> um. That's probably what they're going to say about, like, critics reviewing the film. No, <laughs> but, um, no, no. They're going to say this movie is for the fans. 
Yeah, well, the fans are going to hate it, too. So there's that. Um, but, okay, so best performance. I feel like this is the challenge. Um, uh, Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> Jerry. Who was, like, no. in a photo, like, in the movie. He was in it for, like, four seconds. No. Not even, See, like... That was the no. best performance. <laughs> I'm... No. I got a legit best performance. Um, uh, the puppy? Oh, no. the puppy. I, I'm going to go with the puppy. puppy. Come on, oh, the puppy hit his mark. Puppy. Yeah. Puppy doesn't, puppy doesn't count. Puppy counts. I'm going with uh, Ki Hong Lee, um, who plays Ryan, her her friend who helps her out, and he's he's not, you know, egotistical. He's not he's not one of the he's not like any of the other cast. You know, I actually enjoyed him in this movie. You say that, but in the sequel, if that happens, he's going to go through the same stuff she did. Yeah. God, spoiler help me. alert! They better not make a sequel. <laughs> That's not really a spoiler alert. It's it's um, just saying like if if there was to be a sequel, nobody nobody cares <laughs> if this movie is spoiled. <laughs> um, this is we're not fine. saying how it ends. I'm not going to yeah. say that. I mean, but, um, they could all return. They could all no, return. I I liked him. You know, I thought he was he was cool. He was he was nice. He was the good guy. Fair enough. Um, I'm still going to give it to the puppy. Um, the puppy seemed very natural and not distracted, and, and he hits his mark. He hits his mark, and <laughs> so that dog trainer did did good work. Um, okay, worst performance. I'm going to give it to Joey King. You guys, I'm going to give it to to Mitchell Mitchell Slaggart, who's Paul, who's the the douchebag jock guy who who she wishes for him to fall in love with her and. God, he's the one who says the line that Emma's talking about. That <laughs> trying to think I was of just trying dope. to think something dope before I kiss you. <laughs> oh, it's like, so bad! Oh my God, I can't believe you've said that line. Like, <laughs> and he's just—he's just creepy and just he terrible. Is. Like he—he he has a punchable face. Most people in this movie do, except Barb. I would never punch Barb because I'm—I'm I'm a Barb fan girl. Team well, I, I'm giving. Team I give it also. I give it to Joey King also. Um, so obviously, no ATL recognition factor here, which Thank is goodness. good. Yeah, no, we we don't we don't need to have any recognition there. Um, so overall, on the scale of one to five on the official Atlas scale, what do you give Wish Upon? Uh. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a zero. I'm gonna give it an A. I'll give it a tiny A. Oh, you guys are a little bit nicer about this yeah. than me. You know what I really want to see, and I feel like I haven't seen in a while. I mean, granted, there have been intelligent horror movies. It's just something that's so few and far between. Yeah. Um, it's such a it's a genre that I love, but it's just really hard for people to get it right because there's this fine line between you know being corny or cliche or just completely stupid and doing something that's intelligent and actually like truly freaks you out. Well, not only that, it's it's hard to do something that's original, and that's the, one right. of the big problems with horror movies is is that they're not original. I.e., this movie basically stealing the Final Destination deaths, um, you know, and also this this story's been done before. Um, yeah. It's it's just do something original, you know, like uh, Get Out's really not a horror movie, but a suspense is certainly Psycho a suspense life. film. Like yeah, horror suspense been film blending a lot of psychological these right, days. Psychological, right, psychological. Or the um, Babadook, uh, which is a great film. Um, yeah. 
you know, there's there's a there are there are some intelligent horror I films think, out there, but they're very hard to find. Yeah, and I mean, I would even go as far as saying like there's been a resurgence of good horror films in the past recent years. You know, with Babadook and um, Your Next um, and all these. So like, there's been some decent ones. Well, I'm still. What is it? What I, is I it you want to see? So I, I don't know what I want to see. I want to see something that's not this. Um, <laughs> I, it's been a while since I think the last one that I saw that I, I liked Cabin in the Woods. I thought that Cabin was, in the Woods was awesome. It was pretty, yeah, pretty well Woods. done. Um, like, I'd like to see, see more um, stuff like that. More did stuff you see like it that. Follows. I have not seen that yet. I that's heard that was good. good. Well, um, I will. Mark- I liked don't don't breathe. I thought was good too. That was will- the uh, the the blind guy. That was like I wasn't I wasn't as high on that as you were. Well, well, well but uh, you know uh, you know what another one that we're not thinking of is uh, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, that was a good one. See, I I mean that it, was kind of a surprising a one. It was. Yeah, like, I think it would have been better as, like, a psychological thriller than it would have been, because um, I still kind of throw that in the sci-fi genre just yeah. because of the ending and and how how crazy it got very quickly. But, um... Yeah. Well, did you hear the news? Quentin Tarantino's next film could be a horror movie. Is that the Charles Manson? Yeah. 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 So, apparently, he's approached... Or there was a, a rumor that he had approached uh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Lawrence, and I think Jennifer Lawrence's team said that she's not been approached about it. Um, but yeah, that could be that could that's going to be a that psychological be. one. That's not going to be like horror really? genre. I, I mean, don't know. I don't know. I could, maybe his style that would be yeah. perfect for like a slasher film. That's that's fair. That and especially is. the the whole Manson case. I mean, that fits slasher to a yeah. T. I would think so. We'll see. We shall see. Um, but moving right along into War for Planet of the Apes, which I have not seen, but these two gentlemen have. So, uh, Matt, do you want to set it up for us? Sure. Um, so, War, Planet of the Apes follows... It's the third film in the, the rebooted Planet of the Apes trilogy following Rise of the Planet of the Apes and then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, War takes place two years after Dawn, and Caesar and his clan of apes are basically at war with the last remaining humans um, who have been basically wiped out by the simian flu that, you know, that the franchise is known for. And so, you know, um, Caesar's basically, he doesn't want to fight. He just wants to live with his fellow apes in peace, but the humans keep attacking them. And something goes down, and Caesar basically is out to get revenge on the humans, especially this one human, um, the Colonel, who is played by, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's this, basically, it's not that much about the action as it is about the, the effects of war and you know how it is affecting both these humans and the apes and it's this battle between them all right um so let's let's jump straight on into it boredom factor one to five what do you guys think i'm giving it a zero i was not bored at all 
Oh, this is this, this is promising. This is yeah. I'll, I no, mean, this, I'll go ahead and say it that this is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Oh wow! It's, in, it's definitely in my top ten easily. Yeah, it's so. it's definitely one of the best films of the summer, and um, it's uh, it's the best of the this trilogy. Um, they really did this one right. Um, I think in that, and the reason is, is because it is a lot more introspective, um, and and really shows you the horrors of war and shows you the the effect on on families and on loved ones and and also how leading um, can wear you down and um, you know just you know break you almost. Cool. Um, well, eye rolling factor. I'm assuming that's going to be pretty slow. Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty pretty low. Yeah, there is no. I mean, it's it's like Mike said. It's a lot of interpersonal reflection. Um, there's actually not a lot of dialogue in it. You know, yes, Caesar talks and stuff, but not all the apes are at Caesar's level. And so mm-hmm. there's still a lot of sign language. There's still a lot of these really up close and personal shots. And like the technology has vastly improved, you know, for the motion capture and stuff. So like you can get so much of the emotion and just expression through these up close shots without any dialogue. It's it's really amazing. Cool. Um, so best performance, who would you give that to? Andy I think Circus. that's yeah. See, Andy, I okay. I wouldn't. It would not surprise me if he would get an Academy Award nomination out of this, which I think would shock a lot of people since he's basically computer animated, but he is just amazing in this film. Yeah, nice. Yeah, definitely. Instagram. I know. I know there was. I mean, there was talk about him getting nominated for um for Dawn. You know, there's been talk for him just for his performance as Caesar, and it's like. Throughout just throughout this entire trilogy, like he has been phenomenal as Caesar. Yeah, I think it'll finally happen. Um, well, that'll be that'll be pretty awesome if that if that does yeah. does happen. Um, so worst performance was there something that stuck out as particularly bad to you guys? I don't know. I don't know if there was anything that was particularly bad. No, I can't really. Now, I will say this, there, um, there's, some, there's an ape that you're going to fall in love with. Um, it's a mm. chimpanzee named Bad Ape. Um, Steve, Zahn, Steve Zahn plays him, and he's, he's actually a little bit of comic relief, um, and it's needed for, in this film because it's, the tension is just unbearable. And he becomes, a, he becomes actually a hero, and it's, it's a, really cool, um, a really cool part, uh, very well uh, executed and... Uh, and well thought out, um, and but he's just he's hilarious. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is this is San Francisco again, right? Is where it's the story is set. Um, no, it's actually no. it's actually they don't really. It's it, it's it's further away. They've moved further and further into the woods, and so that is actually. I was taking it that it wasn't wasn't even close to San Francisco because it it seems like they moved far pretty far away. Gotcha. Yeah. So wasn't filmed here. Obviously, no ATL recognition factor, but doesn't no. sound like much of a San Francisco one either. I don't. Do you guys know where they actually filmed? L.A. Um, Vancouver. Vancouver. That makes sense. Yeah. Pacific Northwest feel to it. 
Um, all right, so overall, um, obviously you guys loved it, but uh, one to five on the official Atlas scale, what do you give it? I'm giving it a full Atlas. It is, like I said at the beginning, this is one of my favorite films of the year. And it's like, it has that big blockbuster spectacle, but it's it very much feels almost like an indie. Cool. It's, yeah, it's really it's, amazing. It, it's, a, it's like we've already said, it's one of the best films of the year. Um, a great performance. Um, and it's and a, a riveting story. So it's got it all. Well, awesome. Um, so those are both out this Friday, so you guys can check it out. And um, that's obviously War for Planet of the Apes seems like the uh, the better one to go with <laughs> than Wish yeah. Upon. But um, <laughs> there are also a couple of um, new, uh, new movies to Netflix. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about those, even though I know you, you guys are like watching them tonight? Well, one of them I've seen, which is uh, a documentary uh, called Chasing Coral, um, and it's about the uh, the world's coral reefs are all uh, vanishing; they're all dying. And um, it's the film centers on about uh, a couple of uh, uh, scientists. Well, actually, one guy's just a former uh, advertising executive, and now he's set up a foundation to try to figure out what's happening to the coral reefs and how we can stop this from happening. Um, it's a beautiful film, but it's also heartbreaking and sometimes very tough uh, to watch. It's very emotional because they're literally showing you how these reefs are dying and why they're dying. Now, I will say this. If you don't believe in uh, global warming, then don't watch this movie because <laughs> they put it all on global warming. Basically, the, the, the ocean has always been a certain area of temp you got ranges but now the the water is getting so warm that the coral reefs are basically not reacting correctly and basically they they sort of commit suicide basically and um, they're dying the the great barrier reef in australia last year lost 29 percent of the, the barrier reef is dead and it won't come back I would say that if you don't believe in global warming, you should watch this movie. Well, yeah, I know, but maybe I, it, maybe it'll convince you otherwise. It, it it's it's got, and that's the thing is that it does a great job of giving you the visuals and showing you. And one of the things they do is they set they set up in an area where they know this water is getting warmer and that the reefs are probably going to die. So these divers, literally for like forty days, go down and take pictures in like twenty different areas. Every day, they die, They take pictures, and then you get to see the results. And and these 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 corals that they're taking pictures of do die literally right in front of your eyes. And it's heartbreaking because uh, one of the guys, the, the another the part of the film centers around this guy that he calls himself a coral junkie, and he's been in love with coral since he was a little kid. And it's his it's whole his whole world is about coral. And it literally is was is almost killing him because he's watching this, this these reefs that he loves just die right before his eyes. Um, so it's a really well done film. Um, I, if I were to give it a scale, I'd give it a I'd give it a, a four. Nice. Cool. Um, so you can check that out this uh, this weekend if you uh, don't want to make it out to the to the theaters. I I did want to mention this actually last week and I forgot about it. Um, you guys, uh, we were going to do, I think at some point, an official review of a ghost story. Maybe we'll 
just briefly talk about it um, because I posted a uh, a little video clip video. <laughs> of a, a thing that they sent me on Fanbolt. It's pretty funny. Um, just go to Fanbolt and search for a ghost story, and there's a video of the promotional thing that they sent me, and it's pretty ridiculously awesome. <laughs> um, it's pretty hysterical. I it's it's worth checking out. But um, that movie came out on July seventh. Was that limited release? Yeah, limited. It doesn't come out until Atlanta until like the twenty first, I think. Or- okay, next Friday. It might even be the Friday after that. Yeah, it's a Friday. It's a, I just looked, and it's not. It's not next Friday. Okay, so um, well, maybe we'll we'll review that um, the week it releases here in Atlanta and talk a little bit more about it because you guys had some comments about it that were I thought were pretty funny. So yeah, and I've got it. There's a couple other films that are coming out. I just wanted to mention uh, another uh, Netflix film that I'm actually watching tonight is To the Bone. Um, which is a uh, Lily Collins plays a 20 year old anorexic woman um, she spent her teenage years uh, trying to beat the disease and been in like a million different programs um, her family sends her to a group home for use uh, that have an unconventional doctor and Kenna Reeves plays that doctor um, and she finally finds a solution the interesting thing is Lily Collins was anorexic when she was younger so th- I'm very uh, eager to see this performance. Um, and it, this is another Netflix that comes out on Friday. And then uh, the other, other movies, the, uh, Maudie, uh, which is uh, Sally Hawkins plays a, this is a based on a true story, and there's an arth- arthritic Nova Scotia woman named Maud, and she works as a housekeeper while she practices her artwork, and she becomes famous and actually later stages of life she made a little bit of money but she lived in the same house with this guy who she eventually falls in love uh, the guy that's her employer and then marries her uh, played by Ethan Hawke both great performances I, I highly recommend it and then the last one is The Little Hours this is a very strange movie I will warn you right up front it is has a lot of language um, it's about and you're not going to believe this but it's about 14th century nuns but these nuns basically act like they're on a sitcom on HBO. Um, there's language. There's just uh, there's some nudity. Um, I mean, literally the first time you see some of the nuns, they uh, the, the, a gardener says good morning to them, and they basically curse them out um, because they, he actually talked to them. Um, they're, they everybody's sleeping with everybody else. Um, the Catholic Church is not very happy with this film. And the interesting thing about this film, and it, and it stars Dave Franco, Audrey Plaza's in it, uh, Nick Offerman's in it, there's a ton of other people that are in it. Um, all the dialogue was improvised. So that's just that's another movie. But I will warn you, it's, it's a little shocking that these nuns are basically having sex and cussing like sailors. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, there you go. That's uh, your options for the for the weekend. And of course, you've got the Game of Thrones season premiere on Sunday night, which I'm going to be talking about next week regardless, if you two know what I'm talking about. Oh. So. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> 
Um, but anyways, we'll also, of course, have our Comic-Con schedules for you next week, which are still changing and confirming. Um, we actually got two party invites while uh, we were recording today, so that's exciting. Um, one for Nat Geo and one for NBC. So, um, And confirmed for the Preacher Press Room and The Gifted, which also shoots here in Atlanta. That's a Fox series that's premiering this fall. So um, everything's slowly falling into place, and it will be a awesome, crazy, insane week with tons of interviews. Um, we'll also talk about Dunkirk, which we're seeing next Monday night, and we'll have a, another interview from Midnight Texas for my set visit in January. Um, but until then, thank you guys for listening to the Atlas Podcast. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at Fanbolt.com. I am Matt Rodriguez, the Owner-in-Chief Editor of Shakefire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney from LastOneToLeaveTheTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. And we'll talk to you guys next week from San Diego. See ya at Comic-Con. <laughs>